Great, thanks Richard for that, because um, obviously if we didn't have funder support for this, this would not happen, and thanks to all of you for coming along. Um, based on our number of RSVPs, the room should be full, so if people do filter in during the course, then uh, don't don't uh, sort of let them not sit next to you, we can all huddle up. And I will dive straight into it. Uh, if you have one of these devices like this, um, please make sure it's turned off. Um, I'm allowed mine because I need a stopwatch so I don't keep you guys too long. Um, and I've also got to do a bit of multitasking because I've got to speak into this for the sound and I've got to use this to point. So if I get my right and left a bit mixed up, then uh, just give me a minute or two to work it out. So uh, what we are talking about, uh, we have entitled it Remaking Our Energy Future, and it is about just energy transition, and I'll explain some very brief background, because not everyone is um, on the same page with that, and then talk about what it is that we put into our study. Um, very briefly, what Project 90 does, uh, we want to inspire and mobilize society towards a sustainably developed and equitable low-carbon future. and. The Being a Change-focused organization, you want to inspire significant positive change in the way we as humans engage with Earth systems and importantly with each other. Um, it's not just, hmm, not just about the environment because if you don't look after people then you've only got half the equation. And as part of this is what happens with the just energy transition. So what I'm going to talk about today is what is the study, why did we do it, uh, why do we think it's important, um, the scope, points of departure, and the aims. I'm actually going to spend a little bit of time on that because you've all got the book now and it will be available online from today. You can read the details, but we want people to know exactly where, what it is and where it's going. Then we did some looking at uh, international coal transitions. I'll explain why we focused on coal what we've got in South Africa related to the just energy transition, and then if you put those together, what can you learn from overseas? What do we have in South Africa? We come up with some recommendations, and you'll see by the time I get through this, you'll be like, well, this isn't really rocket science. These recommendations are, to a large extent, like quite common sense, but you have to get the basics right, and if you look at what happened all over the world, when the basics don't get done correctly, things fall apart. So that's what's in store. Uh, why did we do this? Well, we started off uh, a couple of years ago doing this report where we looked at what would need to change in the energy system in South Africa, but it was more on the energy side, you know, what energy mix and all of that. Following on from that, we then, um, with the help of Neil Overy, who's also here today, we looked at, well, how does ownership factor into changing energy systems? Because um, in our discussions with the, uh, with the labor unions, and we'll, I'm sure we'll hear about some of that from Matthew and others today in the discussion, it's important who owns energy and, and where the benefits go. And then after that, we zoomed in even a bit more and said, well, within the large-scale renewable energy program of South Africa, how does ownership factor? So we'd zoomed in a bit, and now we thought, well, actually, let's zoom out again a little bit and say, with this report, there is a lot of discussion going on around, there's, I mean, when we had a workshop to get some input from, and a lot of you attended that, and thank you for doing so, um, there's, there's a lot of discussion about what's the definition of a just transition, you know, and, and there's a lot of discussion about exactly what it should tail, where's our end point, and those discussions are important and need to continue, but at some point you need to start doing something, and as long as you're moving in the correct direction, then then we, we believe that's where we need to start. So 
a lot of what we're looking at is just how do we get started at least going the right direction while the discussions continue around exactly where the endpoint's going to be. So um, to, to sort of show the scope of this, um, just transition is this big topic and we know that there are just transitions that are needed in transport, water, agriculture, land use, and we recognize all of that. We know that all of these are important, but for the sake of this, we wanted to focus on energy. And even within energy, there's lots of components. And we looked at coal in, in particular. I'll explain why just now. And then what we did is we've come up with some lessons from around the world, some recommendations. And although those are based on and for coal, they're can be adapted back to other parts of the energy sector and can be linked to and adapted to these other areas because as we know, they're all linked. So I know people say uh, all these things, no, but you can't just look at the one and they're all linked. Yes, we know, <laughs> but this is the focus and, and you can adapt the, the lessons as you'll see because a lot of them are, are, fairly, uh, are fairly logical. And again, our points of departure is that climate change requires urgent action. And I mean, again, I think most of us are on the same boat, but we need to put that there up front. And also that to, if I use this abbreviation RE, that's for renewable energy, and it's technically possible to do this. There are plenty of reports out there that show you can essentially run your, your ele electricity system off renewable energy. Yes, there are some hurdles, but that is not what we're focusing on here. We're assuming that you can do that. And Another point of departure is that the current system we have is unjust, which is obviously the opposite of being just and fair. Um, some simple examples of that, you will have people living right near coal-fired power stations who are suffering the health effects, but the power lines go straight over them and they can't even access it. Just one example. So it's not that we can make the argument that, oh, there's nothing wrong with our system, let's just stick with what we have. Um, and this has come out in all the debates, and we'll probably have that today with the panel, is that there are lots of different views, and that's fine. But there has been enough common ground that's come out that we can start moving forward together. So the aims were to, in a way, just condense a lot of the information into this little booklet which you've got, and hopefully in a way that's reasonably easily accessible. Um, as alluded to, I've spent several months reading lots and lots of documents, some of them very weighty, some of them quite difficult, even as someone in the field, to understand what's going on. So. A lot of this was a translation exercise to just try and make it a bit more understandable. Um, and then the recommendations are hopefully both practical, but are, will also be able to have an impact. And the last aim is to prompt debate, because this is a highly contested space. And we've had long arguments, even within our office, even within the team of three of us working on it, <laughs> as to what we should and shouldn't put in. So it's obviously a complex space, and we know that. And we are totally happy if you want to agree, disagree, comment, and we actually encourage that. Okay, so last thing before I get into the content, what we are not trying to claim is that this is exhaustive. We have not covered everything, definitely not. This is not a document on how to fix ESCOM. ESCOM is an enormous part of the Just Energy transition, but there's lots of other work on that, and we are saying that in the process of reforming, uh, unbundling, restructuring ESCOM, take some of these ideas into account. Um, we don't, this document is not about technical details of kilowatt hours and storage potential, all of these kind of things. Um, it's more on the, the people side and the justice. We're not looking at emissions reduction pathways. We are taking that as given in the points of departure that there are ways to have uh, a Paris Agreement or a climate-friendly trajectory. And, uh, and the last one is 
Hopefully you can all see at the bottom the chairs aren't in the way. We are not giving a plan. We are saying when you want to plan, these are some things you should think about. So hopefully, hopefully that's all clear, <laughs> like what exactly this, uh, this document is. Okay, so very briefly, and I'll just do this quickly because I know a lot of people do know this, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, is that by an energy transition, we're basically wanting to go from what we have to one that is better on a variety of metrics. Uh, in our view, this would be renewable energy. If we changed from, say, coal all to oil, we haven't really solved much. Um, and the reasons you need to do that is because what we have is bad for the environment, contributes to climate change, bad for health. This was related to the previous two studies I mentioned, is that you know monopoly ownership and uh, a lot of the ownership structures don't benefit that many people. And that's something that if you're looking for positive change, you could do. And importantly, it's no longer the cheapest. Um, fossil fuels used to be cheaper than renewable energy. That has changed. Okay. Step one of the basics. Um, again, we are steering away from a debate on the exact definition of a just energy transition. All we are saying in its simplest form is you are bringing justice to the energy transition I just spoke about. We know there is a lot more to talk about, but at its fundamental level, that's what you're wanting to do. And um, why do you need to do it? Well, from a justice perspective, you need to protect the people who could be negatively affected provide social equity and from a practical point of view it's how you get people to work together if it's if it's not fair then people are obviously going to fight and squabble and we're not going to get anywhere so that's another reason why we need it and um, then we've promoted in a previous study this idea of a transformative just energy transition again if you see this abbreviation jet that's what it's for and again we are not wanting to get hung up on an exact definition and we tried to explain this in this diagram whereby a technical transition is just if you moved from your fossil fuels and coal to renewables. If you did it, just market mechanisms, you'd have some benefits. There'd be less pollution, less greenhouse gases, but that's kind of where your benefits stop. If you involve some sort of basic justice like what the International Labour Organization and others have put forward, then you will have benefits and protection for workers, communities, energy users, and the land that's been involved. And then, so in addition to this, you then get improved social justice and environmental restoration. Now, without getting fixated on a definition, if you start to move a bit beyond that and you say, well, how about our triple challenge in South Africa, inequality, poverty, unemployment, can we use this change in energy system to address some of these issues? Uh, and if we were able to do that, then you'd have even more social justice and just better circumstances in our country. And what we're saying is this is a continuum. As you do more and more, you're moving in this direction and you could eventually get to this kind of utopian world where we actually stop using so much plastic, we change the way we produce and consume, and we get onto some sort of path of real sustainability. So what we're saying in this context is that you start with what you need to, the people who are immediately affected, that's where you need to start. But from that starting point, in the design of your program, you want to incorporate aspects that can start addressing these. So one of these we mentioned later is like access and affordability to electricity. That can help with all of these, and if you start with it right at the beginning on your program, you're at least moving in, as I said before, in the right direction. Okay. And uh, 
So that's the sort of background. Now, the meaty bit in terms of what can we learn from other parts of the world and why did we look at coal? Well, in this country, again, most of this is fairly obvious. There's a lot of damage created from the mining of coal. Um, power stations create pollution, both in terms of things that affect your lungs and contribute to climate change, which are your um, greenhouse gases. And 85% of our electricity comes from coal. So if you're looking at a place to start, you know, this, this big chunk is where to start. Um, we know that ESCOM has uh, lots of problems. I don't need to lament those. And that, um, again, renewable energy, some of the opposition to rolling out renewable energy has come from the coal sector. There are some valid reasons for that. But for all of these reasons, we thought, look, coal is where to start. It's not that the other things aren't important, but this is where we should start. And then I'm just going to very quickly, the report has more details. I'm literally for a couple of countries giving the absolute sort of key message is if you look what happened in the UK, which used to be the sort of industrial uh, hub of Europe and you know where coal started, since the 1920s, both coal production and employment has essentially gone to almost zero. So if someone says you can't move away from coal, incorrect, you can, but what happened on the social side? Um, the reason this happened was there were cheaper options and the important part is that it wasn't particularly organized and there wasn't a coherent strategy as it went along due to these economic reasons there were some reactive measures but this also resulted in a year-long miners strike in 1984 and 85 and this is the reaction you get if you don't plan properly for a just transition and um, and it was messy and Kate James who came to speak at one of the events recently said that if you want to look at how not to do a just transition then look at the UK. It's all very well getting rid of coal but you've got to look after the justice part. Yeah. And uh, for some reason hmm. um, Yes uh, I'm not sure whether we might need to uh, phone a friend for some uh, technical assistance here. Um, I promise the photo is not that... Uh <laughs> well, I'll just talk a bit about it. What you can imagine on the screen as it flashes <laughs> is that you have a whole bunch of police and some miners who are in conflict. And this is a sort of standoff situation. In South Africa, this is not unfamiliar. We've had much worse instances at Marikana and that. And again, a lot of this comes down to planning. What the UK failed to do is plan for this effectively. And through the kind of recommendations that we're wanting to put forward, it's all to avoid a circumstance like this. Um, and hopefully we can work out why our uh, screen is flashing because otherwise it makes it <laughs> difficult for me to explain the rest. Uh, while we do that, does anyone have any questions so far? Is, is what I've said makes sense? Does it... Have I offended anyone yet? Because I, I might be able to do that later. <laughs> um, yeah, so while we're working out this, if there are any, any questions, um, feel free to ask. Um, yes. As, as I said, there, 
for each of these countries, there is a lot, and and uh, you're, you're perfectly right. But um, we're just giving like the very overview. Yes. Mm. Just a brief housekeeping thing. I think because we're recording this, if you do make comments, I should have thought about this earlier, we probably need to give you a microphone. But don't worry, you don't need to say what you said again, but for anyone else who uh, adds in anything, then we'll do that. Um, how are we looking there? Do we know what's the problem here? Uh, Richard, just, just devil's advocate, yes. uh, why do you refer to uh, uh, um, as just as possible transition and not just a just transition? That's a good point. Uh, part of that, A, is um, what is justice, the definition of justice. Um, lots of people have written papers on that. I know Jacqueline Koch from uh, WITS has done some work on that. There are whole enormous what is justice so for to get everyone to agree on that is tricky um, so what I consider a just transition for you might be oh it's only half the way there uh, so that's on the one side on the other hand is just the practical reality of the country we live in with structural unemployment and all these difficulties we want to aim as high as possible but in reality there is there is there might only be a certain amount that in the immediate future we can do so I guess that's why we chose that terminology as just as possible. Uh, hopefully that answers that one. So this is just an impromptu sort of unexpected debate session, but that's fine. <laughs> so while we keep going. Um, so what came into my mind, and you might be going to touch on this, is governance and the politics of vested interests. Because that seems to me I, I don't know much about the UK politics, but Thatcher, uh, I think, was blamed to a large extent for the loss of the coal mining sector and the fact that she refused to do anything or, I don't know, took the hard line. And um, we are sitting here with Madupi and Kusile because of political issues. So I just wondered, do you deal with the governance stuff in that? Oh, because that frames, you can have all this wonderful, everybody's spouting it's a just transition, but in fact it all gets derailed. And maybe just to add to that, if we remember we had an IRP, which when nuclear was forced in and we nearly got ourselves into a trillion rand mess because of political interference. So how, how does one deal with that? Huh? We're back. All right. Uh, it sounds like we might be up and running. To answer that question, yes, we do. Some of the recommendations about uh, governance. Um, Neil might also know more about your UK question. Yes, Thatcher was a large part of it. And if you do look into this, there there was a lot of tension there. Um, but again, the message just being prior planning and proper consultation process could have avoided a lot of this. Okay, let me see if uh, we can uh, continue. Sorry about that. Mm. Uh, okay, well, maybe I can... Uh, let me... Yeah, but my... 
So, for some reason, we have a temporary little uh, bit of stability. So let me just carry on while we another computer is organised. Um, okay, sorry about that. So, moving away from the photo, which caused all the trouble, um, very quickly in Spain, um, what we see is the same thing as the UK. Uh, coal production and employment have dropped rapidly, and now I think I need to put the slides forward there. Um, the drivers were the same, it was mainly economic, um, but the big difference from the UK is that the government specifically said we need to phase out coal due to the economics. So over a 20-year period they had a whole bunch of plans, but it was all based on economics. It wasn't, there were some uh, plans put in place for workers, I haven't included the details, but the reason for all those plans was this is costing us too much money, we need to move away from it. Um, but what has happened recently is um, in 2018 there's this um, 250 million euro plunder of carbon and basically that takes your coal subsidies and changes those into uh, sort of a, a sustainable development plan and importantly they got union involvement. So it's one of the countries that in just the last few years has made some progressive steps um, towards just transition and there's some sort of photos of it, uh, the important be part being the way it was done, it was getting all your stakeholders together. And again, just another headline, but it's, it's the sort of stuff we're leading towards in our recommendations, is your stakeholder engagement process is really important. You can't just come up with a plan and tell people that's what you're going to do. Okay, so a bit of catch up. So the Netherlands, um, this is an example of how you can convert a region that was dependent on coal to something else. And that's the kind of scenario we might have in South Africa in Mpumalanga. So um, what they did is they went from uh, coal mining and they converted completely to high value add services. Important to remember here is the time frame which I'll get back to just now. Um, why did it happen? Well they found a whole lot of gas. Gas was cheaper and uh, government said well we need to end coal mining and it just so happened that a bit like in South Africa all the mining was in one geographical area. And uh, the important part about this, there were lots of things interesting here, but what I've pulled out here is that there weren't significant protests, unlike the UK. Um, and basically, it was this whole idea of acceptance. Like, through the process, people realized, okay, we do need to change, and it's to our advantage. How do we go about doing it? Um, and in fact, um, the state mining company, while it was still profitable, um, it was actually beneficial for the workers to get out then rather than delaying because the company still had money uh, to help them out. Okay, next country, very quickly, um, the same idea in Germany, how do you convert one region uh, from coal to, in this case, a knowledge-based economy? And, um, yeah. uh, and then what they did is uh, some of the leftover mines became museums and the reasons for it Again, the reason I'm giving you these examples, you pick up a trend. It was economics. There was a cheaper alternative and air pollution became a big concern. So what they did is they built, I mean, 22 universities in one area, that's quite a lot. So the whole region got converted to a different use. And in the last few years, Germany have established a coal commission, a bit like the Spanish example, getting all the stakeholders together to plan effectively. Right, um, next country, there's just 
one more after this, is what's happened in Alberta and Ontario and Canada is that they've decided to phase out coal and they have some pretty good support programs that are in line with here's ILO International Labour Organization. So the guidelines that they're following are good. Um, why it happened was quite interesting. They, in Alberta, they had a new ruling party. These guys wanted to get rid of coal and they did it. So it was purely the politics that changed it. And in Ontario, there was a lot of pressure due to air pollution. So what they did is they developed a just transition task force, which we'll speak about a bit later. Unfortunately, as some of you may know, Alberta, there's tar sands, they have a lot of cheap gas. So they might be moving away from coal, but they're not necessarily moving to something which is an ideal solution. Okay, the last one that I'm gonna pick up on, Australia, it's still one of the world's biggest coal exporters, but in a particular area in the Latrobe Valley, they had a very large power station that was their most polluting one, which closed at short notice. That part of the story is not good. They should have been planning for that, but the reaction is that they created this thing called the Latrobe Valley Authority, which can be a model for these kind of acti activities moving forward. And in terms of a late response from government, they gave a whole lot of money for the sort of things I'll discuss briefly just now, how to fix infrastructure, create jobs, and the state of Victoria also gave the largest s state funding in their history, again, to uplifting the area so that they can do something else post-coal. Okay, so the Latrobe Valley Authority is interesting because it combines your bottom-up and your top-down. So it's, it's created and run by local people who know what the situation is, they know what they need, but they get support from government. And again, quite a simple formula, but it is potentially something we can pick up on, on this country. Um, so I'm running a bit out of time due to our technical things, but I'll just, you know, not run through them because we do need to understand them all. Very quick insights is that coal transitions can take a long time, 25 years in the case of Limburg. That's a problem in terms of climate change. But from a social aspect, it's good because it gives you time to manage how your workers are handled. It's not suddenly that you have thousands of people that need are in a difficult situation. If you plan properly, then it's not as bad. The drivers are also increasing. Renewable energy costs keep coming down. You now have climate change policies. So the sorts of things that drove transitions in the past are still here and increasing. And this is, I put this in, why it's important to remember that we want to move towards renewable energy is the case in Canada where oil and gas might be slightly better, but there are still a lot of problems with them. Um, but I don't want to get into too much detail about that. So basically, I've tried to put all of the lessons from these countries in one slide. Um, <laughs> and it's a picture. And again, I'm, that's why I said at the start of the presentation, it's just an outline. Look at the report for all the details. But the first thing is you really have to get this process right of stakeholder engagement. Now, the UK essentially got it wrong. I'm not saying throughout history, but in the last few years, the examples I said of what's happening in Spain, Germany, and Canada are getting along the right track. So those are things that South Africa can look at. W once you've got this step right, you need to do some early planning, you know, before your power station closes or before anything else that becomes a problem. Uh, oh, and just to go one step back, uh, as in with the Netherlands examples, if you can actually get everyone on the same page that we need to do this, there is a lot less social conflict. Um, and this is what happened in the Netherlands where they didn't have any protests. 
Local circumstances, that's the type of thing we saw in Australia with the Latrobe Valley. They said it is all about what happens in the local area. It's not, you, there's no one size fits all. So we need to bear that in mind when we are planning. Now, as I said at the start of the presentation, we are dealing with coal, but this could be applied elsewhere. And you need to assess, well, what happens if we take that out of the economy? If you're highly dependent on it, if you imagine some remote rural town where the only activity is coal mining and you're now stopping that, you have to face that you might actually have to move away and retreat. But there's ways to do that and we address some of that in the study. If you're not so dependent on coal like what happened in um, uh, Germany and the Netherlands, then you can change the region to something else. And there'll be a whole spectrum in between where you're fairly dependent, but you can make some adaptations, some people might move. The key message, it's all about the local circumstances. And um, this is a very important thing which we deal with in the report, it's a managed decline. So I'll talk a little bit more about that part here. So essentially the crux for me after reading all of these things is these four points, and you have to do all four of them, otherwise the, the sort of nice um, as, as does the microphone. Okay, so I'll start with this one. The first one is that you need to create an alternative industry or alternative business. All right, um, okay, that sounds a bit better. So uh, this is what happened in Spain is they didn't get this right. They had all these plans for how to move away from coal, but they didn't have any plans for what was going to replace it. Um, so that's the one part you have to get right. The next thing is you need to then look at your local area and say, how do we invest and diversify the area to make it more attractive, A, to these industries, and B, to the workers? So that's the second part of your puzzle. Now the third one, which again we go into some depth in the study, is, is what do you do with workers? And this whole managed decline, part of it even starts with, well, don't train more people to work in an industry which is not going to be there. And if you do that, along with stopping to employ people, you bridge some people to pension, you retire some people early, the problem becomes more manageable. You're not suddenly faced with a whole workforce overnight that, that needs new jobs. Retraining comes up a lot. Everyone talks about in the Just Transition debate, like how do we retrain people for another job? Now, if you look at what's happened overseas, retraining has often not gone very well. So what you want to do is in this whole process here is only retrain the people you really need to. And when you do, we give some ideas in the report of what you need to think about it. But it's, it's not actually your first port of call. Um, there's, there's better ways to start with that. And then the fourth part is, uh, looking after environment and it's not just you know the the voice of the hippies speaking here it's that if your environment is damaged you can't do farming people don't want to work there people don't want to invest there so there's this kind of four-way interaction between all of these and this is really seems to be the nuts and bolts of how you implement this and there's this been expression come up in the last sort of couple of workshops of of an ambition uh, party with an implementation implementation hangover we have this in South Africa, we have lots of good policies, but when you implement it, things don't work so well. And we are presenting just a simple little idea of what are the things you should think about in terms of implementation. Um, and again, as an example from Spain, where they got this a bit wrong is they put a ton of money in infrastructure. So they got this part right, investing in infrastructure, but nothing in terms of alternative industries. There's a wonderful quote where people say, we've got the best street lights in the country, but no work. 
So it's a balance of, of where do you put your money and your time, and that is, again, location-specific. Okay, um, so a few points on finance. The cost of doing nothing, uh, what happened in Spain is it was about 22 billion euros they spent propping up the coal industry, whereas other countries in Europe spent about 5 billion on regional uh, economic diversification. So not doing anything can cost you money. I'll skip out sources of funding because uh, of our time. Politics is massive. I mean, we've seen what happened since Trump's been elected. The Obama had the clean power plan, and now they're backpedaling on that. So a big point we come to at the end is actually, it doesn't matter if you have the best ideas. It's all about the politics. And the power of alliances, the Powering Past Coal Alliance was started in 2017 between Canada and the UK. And this is, if you have a big problem to tackle, let's get people together to work on it. Um, and there's some bits in the study about that. Very briefly on the Global South, because our little technical glitch took up some time, is we have had to look at countries in the Global North, which people rightly point out are very different to the circumstances in South Africa, but that's because in the Global South, there aren't, they haven't really been any transitions from coal. Some very brief observations is that China might be putting up vast amounts of renewables. If you look at the numbers, they're huge, but they're also investing in coal, the same with India. India's got enormous solar targets, but they're still pumping a lot into coal, so they're not really transitioning from the one. Um, in countries like Vietnam and the Philippines, due to a lot of vested interest, the type of things Liz was talking about, it's very, very slow, and we've seen a little bit of that in this country. This is something is that uh, China is starting to realize that all their pollution concerns, all the residents in Beijing were like, we can't have this. So they're exporting it to other countries, and there's a potential project in Limpopo where they're wanting to build a new coal-fired power station there. Um, right, very quickly, what do we have in South Africa? This is very brief, and then I get to our recommendations, which are also brief, and then we'll, we'll be back on semi-track. We have a whole lot of policies. Don't worry about reading all of those. Essentially, the term is starting to appear. Some of them talk about just transition and they mention it, but we don't have a plan yet for a just transition, either at a national or a local level. These documents could support a just energy transition if they're improved and implemented, but at the moment we're on pretty rudimentary territory. There is uh, something called the National Employment Vulnerability Assessment and the Sector Jobs Resilience Plans. There are details in the study about that. Those are promising. There, are, there is some good work being done there. We need to work out how to factor that in. Uh, the National Planning Commission, uh, this photo here has got Tasneem Esop in. They've done a really good job of getting the ball rolling. What happens next? Uh, they've done consultations around the country, but we need to work out where to take that. The Presidential Jobs Summit said, let's create this thing called the Presidential Climate Change Commission, and they would run the just transition. We accept that. Uh, what we put forward, as you'll see, is that you need a body to do something like that, whether it's actually this exact entity or another purpose-built one is something separate. Okay, so having said what we have in South Africa, the World Economic Forum has ranked South Africa 114th out of 115 in terms of our readiness to transition. Um, and FES also did a study in 2012 that put us rock bottom out of 12 countries in the global south. So um, that means we have to get the basics right. And this is what I was saying earlier in the presentation. Our recommendations are quite simple, but if you don't get the basics right, it's not going to work. So what are our grand recommendations? Well, what do you need to consider in your plan? 
who's going to do it and how do you pay for it? So again, I won't go into much detail, but after all our workshops, our readings, our chatting to people, we've come up with six ideas of what you need to consider when you plan. Well, there's five here plus energy democracy as a sort of overarching feature. Uh, I'll just quickly list them, but I won't go into more details. You need to look at accessibility and affordability of electricity. In terms of justice, there's no point having an energy system that the majority of people can't afford. Business needs to change. An example is ESCOM keep, can't keep saying we need to uh, carry on polluting at the levels they are. As per other studies, you need to look at ownership. Um, big section on workers. Um, a lot of the just transition started with workers and we're saying there's still you know, sort of front and center, but there's a lot else to go on, and you need to look after your environment. Again, there's quite a bit in the report on each of those. And now who is actually going to do this? So government needs to be involved, and if you look at Scotland and some other countries, having a legal backing to this really helps. Having a bunch of policies with no legal backing has, has limited traction, so we're saying there should be something along the lines of a just transition bill, and there needs to be some financing, even if it's just for initial social protection and regional investment. We deal with other funding options later. Then you need a, a task team of some sort, like someone's actually got to oversee this whole thing. Now, whether it's that presidential climate change committee or a purpose-built one, there needs to be someone whose specific job is to look after this. They would have two tasks. One is a consultation platform and one is the second one from that is through that process and again we go into some detail as to how you should do it and how it should be formed you will then come up with your national plans we'll talk about local ones later and the last point on this is about integrated planning you need to link this to other sectors as i said at the beginning and um, we have this in this country you know the integrated resource plan which some of you will know about is still waiting after many years and that needs to get factored in there then just on a local level, the, all the international lessons point to the fact that it's about your local circumstances. So you should have local task teams. They find who can implement and who do training where the training is necessary. This regional transitional assessment we've put here is that idea of looking at your area and deciding like they did in Latrobe, what needs to happen here. And the people who need to do that need to be people who live there and know the circumstances and then Combining the local plans with your local people, you can actually do something, and what you want to do is what we are suggesting in those five different areas. Uh, and then essentially, this diagram you've already seen, but if you take all those international lessons, this is what we need to do. We need to follow this strategy in a way that suits South Africa. And the last slide, and I know I'm a bit over time because we've got the flashing screen in the middle, is... How do we pay for this? Just some very brief ideas. Uh, fossil fuel subsidies. Getting information on this is really quite difficult, um, but what we have managed to dig up is that 56 billion in 2016 was given just to the coal industry. Forget about the other fossil fuels. 56 billion is quite a lot if you put it towards just transition activities. You could clearly put something in the national budget. Um, then, Innovative models to access international climate finance. Um, the ESCOM Sustainability Task Team, along with Meridian Economics, are looking at a way to do this. I won't go into too much detail, but it looks very promising, and it's a way to essentially get your international climate uh, financiers 
to, to give low interest loans to ESCOM, provided that renewable energy ramps up faster than we're currently planning. So you have the benefits of more renewable energy and some money to put towards the social aspects. Tax avoidance. Now this might not sound like, like a big deal, but uh, over a five year period in South Africa, 100 billion rand. Now if you could just clamp down on tax avoidance, that's a lot of money that you could put towards this just transition. And the companies who have benefited from all the subsidies and all the tax breaks and all the environmental non-compliance over the years, you could get them to pay for some of this because it's their workers. And uh, the carbon tax has been introduced. The rate is far too low, but if, if the carbon tax were increased to a reasonable rate, you could use that money. Um, there's some other ideas from divestment. Uh, public investment corporation has been suggested, but... Essentially, if you put this all together, you cannot use lack of money as an excuse. There would be money to do this, uh, to put towards the basics. And um, my very last remarks on this is, at the end of the day, it's about the politics. We've seen it in all the different countries and uh, as civil society, how do we get government to take it seriously? Um, you can't transition away from coal if you're still looking to build new ones. IPPs, independent power producers, and MCs, I won't go into details, you can ask me about it. That's that Chinese power plant they want to build in Limpopo. It won't even connect to the national grid. It's only for their metals processing uh, plant. And um, immediately, Hendrina is a, a power station which is closing down. There's no plans. 2,300 workers, what's going to happen with them? This is an opportunity to dive in. Uh, we need to get good information as to what uh, these people there require, and we need to adapt the lessons. And the last parting comment is this is an opportunity. Just transition is not a, you know, we all need to cramp our lifestyles. It's an opportunity for, uh, for more jobs, healthier people, better environment, and to contribute towards climate change. Sorry, that took a little longer than planned, but um, there we have it. That's what we're putting forward in a nutshell. There you go. Uh, so we, as I say, with the, the technical